everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. The first time I saw them, they scared me to death. I was maybe eight years of age, standing in line with my mother at the post office, and there they were, all of those posters, those mugshots of the hardened criminals. I stared into their scary eyes and read the different crimes they had committed. Armed robbery, mail fraud, rape, and the worst, murder. I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if these men and women are lurking in the lobby waiting to pounce on my mother and I when we exit. I wondered if they were out in the parking lot checking us out. It's kind of scary, isn't it, to see some mugshots, some wanted pictures, to know that people that we come in contact with are considered armed and dangerous. I doubt very many of us know anyone whose picture is tacked to the post office bulletin board. I doubt we know a lot of people who are considered armed and dangerous. But don't speak too soon. Uh, Don't jump on that train too quickly because if the truth were known, a lot of us know a lot of hardened criminals. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Just very quickly, do a quick panoramic view of your section. Look around. What do you see? I'm sure you see a colossal collection of well-adjusted Metroplex suburbanites. That's what you think you see, but in reality, you're looking at a bunch of criminals, murderers. They could be in your section. Maybe on your row. Maybe, just maybe, they're in your seat. I'm talking about people who take the lives of others. Now, this is your first time here. You're saying, whoa, what kind of church is this? You're kind of starting to freak out a little bit. Let me stop and again tell you, I'm in a series of talks on the Ten Commandments called First and Ten. Why are we calling it first and ten? Because during the first of the year, we launched into this series on the ten directives, the ten commandments for successful living. And today, we're talking about one that all of us are very familiar with. We're talking about one that most of us can recite. It's only made up of four little words. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Here is commandment number six. Are you ready? You shall not murder. (sighs) Some of you are saying. You're breathing a big old sigh of relief because you're saying to yourself, finally, Ed, finally, there is a commandment that does not confront me. I'm good on this one. I've never murdered, maimed, or killed anyone. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I even practice catch and release when I go fishing. I can skip to number seven because 
After all, isn't number seven a real exciting one? Isn't number seven talking about adultery and having affairs? Let's talk about that. But, but number six, come on. Don't jump on that train too quickly. Don't get off on that mindset too prematurely because, I'll say it one more time, a lot of us, a lot of us in this place are killing others. We have murderers in our midst. Since the beginning of time, men and women have been wielding knives, spears, and guns to take the lives of others. We pour billions of dollars into the movie industry that turns murder into entertainment. We watch the nightly news where, as one anchorman friend of mine said, if it bleeds, Ed, it leads. We act out our violent inclinations, playing video games that dismember and tear apart others. As the screens turn red, we're in for the kill, and we love every moment of it. There's something about death. There's something about murder. There's something about killing that intrigues us all. The obvious interpretation of the Sixth Commandment is simply this. We do not have the right to take another person's life. We're all made in the image of God. We're the crown of his creation. We're masterpieces, Picassos, one of a kind. Who are we, mere mortals, to usurp the authority of God and step in and to end a person's life? We don't have that prerogative. We don't. And the word murder in the Hebrew means, and you might want to write this down, a wrongful killing. This word is different from capital punishment, war, or self-defense. Those precepts and principles are listed elsewhere in the Bible. Today, we're talking about wrongful killing, the wrongful death of another human being. The first biblically recorded homicide was in the book of Genesis, chapter 4. It occurred when one brother, Cain, became very jealous of another brother, Abel. God saw what was going on. God saw those frosty feelings. He saw what was going down, so God stepped in and began to reason with Cain. Cain, don't do it. Cain, express it to me. Cain, let's get real now. Cain, come on, chill. Yet Cain trampled over the counsel of God and killed his brother Abel. Put yourself in the sandals of the parents, Adam and Eve. What was going through their minds when they saw the lifeless body of their son? I'm sure they got that sick feeling on their stomach. I'm sure their heads were spinning. They were looking at this corpse in disbelief. And maybe they turned to Cain and said, Cain, what were you thinking? What were you doing? This is an outrage. Cain, Cain, Cain. Thou shalt not murder. The obvious interpretation is to physically take the life of another human being. 
in a wrongful way. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, comes along and adds something to this. Most of us think that this commandment ends with just a physical thing. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not just a physical killing. We also break the sixth commandment when we verbally kill. When we verbally take the life of someone who matters to God. Matthew chapter 5, I'll begin reading with verse 21 and conclude with verse 22. Listen to the words of our Lord. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, and this word Raka means you empty-headed fool, you don't deserve to live, you don't deserve to take up space or breath on this planet. That's what the word Raka means. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What was going on here? Jesus was saying there's more than one way to murder someone. We can do it physically, and we can also do it verbally. Isn't it fascinating that the maze of murder always begins with anger? The unchecked anger in your life, the unchecked anger in my life, and then anger turns to rage, and we either take the life of someone physically or verbally. Physically or verbally? I read an ancient story years ago that I've never forgotten about this text. A man, this story communicates, spread some gossip and some rumors and some slanderous remarks about his pastor. And after a while, this person felt really guilty what he had said, so he went back to his pastor and asked his pastor for forgiveness. The pastor told him, I will forgive you, but I want to assign you a couple of things to do. And this man was waiting to hear what his pastor would tell him. And the pastor told the man something very easy to do. He said, I want you to take the feather pillow you sleep on and go to the top of a windy hill and dump out all of the feathers inside the pillow. And the man thought to himself, well, that's an easy way to get this forgiveness thing with the pastor I've slandered. So he went to a windy hill and dumped out all the feathers. He returned to the pastor and said, pastor, I've you know, done the feather thing on top of the hill. The pastor smiled and said, now, here's your second task, and then we'll talk about forgiveness. Now the pastor said, I want you to go and collect all of the feathers that you dumped out of your feather pillow on the windy hill. And the man said, that, that's impossible. There's no way I can ever collect those feathers. And the wise pastor said, words easily roll off of our tongues. They're easily dropped like feathers, but once we say them, it's almost impossible to get them back. 
Do you have any feathers floating around out there? Any feathers in your marriage? Any feathers around the office? Any feathers at the country club? Any feathers around the neighborhood? Any feathers in your life? Yes, we can kill by wielding a knife, a spear, or a gun, but we can also kill by wielding words and thoughts and comments. We can kill by slander. Have you ever been slain by slander? Have you ever killed someone with your words? Because we have a lot of serial slanderers in our midst, a bunch of them. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Turn to your neighbor and, and say the word slander two times. D did you hear it? It's a scary sound because you can't say slander without sending like a bunch of pit vipers waiting to spread your verbal venom everywhere. Slander. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Now, I want you to highlight that one in the frontal lobe of your brain. I'll say it one more time. Do not do anything, we're talking about slander now, that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Isn't it funny? how slanderers travel in packs. They always group together. You show me your company, young man, and I'll pinpoint to you your slanderers. You show me your company, young woman, and I'll show you where the slanderers hang out. You show me your team, I'll show you where the slanderers congregate. You show me your school, you show me the church, you show me wherever all the slanders love to get together and they like to trade their verbal venom. They like to slander. They love to drop those feathers because it's easy to slander. We don't have to work at it. Just a little innuendo, just a little falsehood, just a little truth in order to hurt someone. I hope you didn't miss what I just said because I just gave you the definition of slander. Slander is telling the truth about someone in order to hurt them. In order to take their lives. God doesn't mess around with slander. There was a prophetess mentioned in the Old Testament, you've probably heard of her, named Miriam. Miriam slandered Moses to Aaron. She dropped those feathers and because of her slander, God dropped leprosy on her life. Wow. That's some scary stuff. Slander. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life in regard to slander. Remember I told you to remember that? Now we're going to change gears and talk about the life of David and his relationship to psycho King Saul and his friendship to Jonathan. Anytime you read scripture, 
you must always ask yourself, what is the context of the verse? What was going on historically? Who are the players? What's the flow? And let's set the stage right quick. David had pulled the upset of the universe. You remember when he took out Goliath? Here's a Hebrew hillbilly, a little kid who took on this behemoth. He was out for the count. King Saul became jealous of David because David had done such a brave act. King Saul's son, Jonathan, was heir to the throne, but God patted David on the head. God tapped him on the shoulder, said, David, you are the man. Saul went ballistic. Psycho Saul wanted to kill David. I want to read for you a text of someone who stood against slander. Someone who had the opportunity for slander, but turned his back on it. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. Psycho Saul, Jonathan's father, was slandering David, abusing David, trying to kill David. Jonathan stood up to his father and told him the truth. I want to stop and tell you something. Jonathan could have slandered David if he hadn't have said a word. We can slander someone in silence. We can slander someone when we blend into the conversational scenery. When you're out on the golf course and a friend is tearing apart another one of your friend, telling the truth about your friend in order to hurt them. And instead of saying something, instead of being loyal, instead of doing the Jonathan thing, you just, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause a conflict. I don't want to take sides. Friends, rock the boat. Friends, stand up. Friends, take sides. Loyalty. What kind of words roll off of your tongues? Words that honor God? Words that build others up? Words of truth? Words of confrontation when it's proper? Or do you drop those feathers of slander? Or do you sort of blend in to the conversational scenery and say, well, I don't want, you know, for someone to get the wrong idea. Maybe it's true about him. I'll just kind of listen and then report back. Don't go there. Life is too short. Slander can kill a relationship as fast as a bullet can kill a human. It's that deadly. Speaking of David, one of my favorite characters in all the Bible is a person who was sinister and ugly, but a human being who really reflects what slander is all about. Years ago, I preached a series of messages called Lesser Known Personalities of the Bible. Is that a classic? I'll tell you where I preached it. Stan and I, when we were in our early 20s, used to do an early church service at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Stan did the music. I did the preaching. You remember that sermon series, Lesser Known Personalities of the Bible? Stan remembers it. It, it changed his life. <laughs> That's a joke. Anyway, 
I talked about a character in this series called Doeg the Edomite. If you've ever heard of Doeg the Edomite, would you please lift your hand? I'm sure a, a few of you have heard of Doeg. Go ahead and lift your hand up high. Doeg. One, two, three. There's not very many. Doeg the Edomite. Well, he fits into this whole scene with Psycho Saul chasing David and Jonathan. Here's what happened. Saul first started to go after David to try to kill him. David gets wind of the situation because Jonathan tells him, so David is on the run. He's doing the Harrison Ford thing. He's a fugitive, man. He's out there. And he flees Saul's court to a place called Nob. I love all the cool names in the Bible. Nob. Hey, I'm going to Nob. In Nob, there was a tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, you had a bunch of priests who did their priestly duties. When David walked up to the tabernacle, the head priest, Ahimelech, came to him trembling. Now remember, David was the toast of the town. He was the man, the Michael Jordan of his day. He had done the impossible to take out Goliath. And Ahimelech said, David, what are you doing here alone? Where's your bodyguards? Where's the secret service? And David said, well, Ahimelech, I'm on the king's secret business. David told him that because he did not want to involve this great man of God in this scene with he and Psycho Saul. So David said, Ahimelech, I, I need some food and I need some ammo. Ahimelech said, well, that's, that's cool. So he gave him some shoe bread and then he gave David the sword that he used to chop Goliath's head off, which they had as a trophy in the tabernacle. Isn't that pretty wild? So David picked that sword up. You, you can imagine David thinking about, oh man, I remember when I you know, took this guy out and all that. Well, David cruises. And while David is leaving the tabernacle, stay with me now, he sees someone kicking back against a pillar of the tabernacle. He locked eyes with this person and he recognized him as Doeg the Edomite. You spell his name D-O-E-G. Drop the E because it's better dog because that's what the guy is. And, and David said when he saw him, when their eyes locked, he knew Doeg was up to no good. David flees. Bring in Saul. That's right, psycho Saul, chasing David, trying to find him. He's frustrated. He's freaked out. He cannot find him. So Saul calls in all of his advisors, all of his counselors, all of the priests in, and he begins to rage on them, to vent on them. He's so upset. He's going on tilt. He's so hacked. He's so chapped. He's so upset. And the people, man, they didn't want to say anything to Saul. He was crazy. Saul would do anything. And Saul said, you don't love me. You love David. You know, on and on and on. And finally, Doeg the Edomite, a man who lived near Saul, a man who was Saul's chief herdsman, raised his hand. He said, Saul, <laughs> I've got some good news for you, brother. That's my paraphrase. And Doeg said, Saul, I saw the chief priest Ahimelech giving David, this fugitive, some bread and a weapon. Saul said, bring Ahimelech to me. This old, godly man walked to the front of the pack. And Saul said, Ahimelech, you are with this Hebrew hillbilly. You're with this giant slayer. You're against me. And Ahimelech said, what are you talking about? David told me he was on your business, king. Saul said, Doeg, kill him. Kill Ahimelech. 
he killed Ahimelech and 85 of Ahimelech's co-priests. Slain by slander. First they were killed verbally, then they were killed physically. It's not what Doeg said, it's what he didn't say. It was a little innuendo, a little change, telling the truth, not the whole truth, about the situation in order to hurt somebody. Dropping those deadly and fatal feathers, serial slanders, people who spew the verbal venom. God was so serious about this, in the book of Titus, chapter 3, he gave a stern warning to the local church. God said for the leaders to warn a slanderer once, then to warn a slanderer twice, then to say to the slanderer, see ya, from this day forward, disassociate with the local church because speech is a gift from God. Our words matter. Our words can praise God, and curse God. Our words can honor our fellow man and tear our fellow man or woman apart. The first time I saw the deadly results of slander, I was in the fifth grade. My family and I moved from tiny Taylor, South Carolina to Columbia, South Carolina, and I enrolled in a very rough elementary school. In fact, my elementary school was rough, and junior high was rough, and high school, and you had to fight to stay, stay alive in that place. It was a war zone before schools became war zones. My first day in the school, Lonnie B. Nelson, penitentiary, I mean elementary. <laughs> All these guys were talking about this girl named Penny Walker. Penny Walker, I always heard about Penny Walker. They were saying, oh Ed, you won't believe Penny Walker. She's the ugliest girl you've ever seen. Penny Dogface Walker, they told me. Just, just ripping her apart. Well, I'd even seen Penny Walker and I'd heard about Penny Walker. The first day I laid eyes on this girl, she was walking down the halls of Lonnie B. Nelson School. And as she was walking, I saw some guys down on the other end just yelling at her, you ugly girl, you dog face, look at your clothes. I mean, stuff you would not imagine. And pitiful Penny Walker, I'm telling you, she was just cowering as she walked. I was able to say some things, to stand up for her, even as a young guy. I, I just saw the injustice and it made me sick. In junior high school, I got to know Penny. And, and Penny was a great girl. But sadly, sadly, Penny was wounded by words. She was murdered by a bunch of people's mouths and she never recovered. She never did. Do you know what Penny Walker are you maybe a penny walker? Do you say stuff about people just for the joke, just for the laugh, just for the comment, just for the reaction? Do you take this gift called speech and abuse it? Yeah, 
Commandment three, God said, don't trash my name. Don't curse me. Don't take my name in vain. Don't use it flippantly or off the cuff. God's serious about his name. Well, God's also serious in number six about how we talk to other people. How are you talking to them? I'll go through this commandment one more time. We're prohibited from verbally or physically taking the life of another person in a wrongful way. Why? What's God's mentality about it? Because God does not want us to hurt and damage ourselves, others, and our relationship with Him. That's God's reasoning and His rationale. Now let's go into the application. How can we apply the words we've heard today? I want you to develop what I call a sixth sense. A sixth sense, a true sense about the sixth commandment. And there's three things that we all need to do in our lives to make this real. First, we need to come clean. We need to come clean. I want to ask you a very direct question. That's right, you. I'm talking to you. Do you need to confess the sin of murder? Do you need to say, God, I've murdered? I need to confess it. Because I'm here to tell you, I've murdered people with my mouth before. I've slandered others before. A couple of times, I've stood in silence before. This is not easy stuff. But many of you, although you're not legally guilty, you're spiritually guilty. Confess it. Come clean. Admit the obvious to God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So coming clean is not saying, okay, God, I give up. I come clean. It's more than that. Put away. I mean, some serious work has to be done. Put away from you. Put away from me, along with malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. God gives forgiveness. We're to give forgiveness to others. We're to come clean. We're to turn our backs on this stuff. That's where it all begins. Confess the sin of murder. Say, God, I'm a serial slanderer. I've got a problem with it, God. No, I've not murdered or maimed or killed anyone by wielding a gun or an arrow or a spear. But with this two-ounce slab of mucous membrane, I've done some serious slander. The second challenge. Analyze your anger. We've talked on and on about anger. Analyze your anger. Remember I said earlier, I talked about Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. I said, the maze of murder always begins with anger. Remember that? Let's go back to the story of Cain and Abel for a second. God intervened. God was talking to Cain. God was trying to reason with Cain. God wanted Cain to come clean with him. 
God wanted to help Cain analyze his anger. Cain wouldn't even think about it. Cain just elbowed God out of the way, even though God was available, and went ahead and killed his brother. When you're angry, when you're raging, when you're going on tilt, when you can feel this molten lava spewing out into every recess and every relationship that you come in contact with, analyze your anger. God knows what you're feeling. God wants to help. God is right there. Share it to him. Come clean with him. Because if Cain had done that, if Cain had allowed God to help him analyze his anger, he would have stopped short of killing his brother. Read the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms are written by people that we can identify with. On top of that, the entire Bible is written by people we can connect with. But the book of Psalms are, are, are writings that, that are fascinating because most of the psalmists start and they have a bone to pick with God. They're upset. They're hacked. They have the reds. They're chapped. They're doing all that stuff. They say, God, you get them. God, you take care of them. God, you take my enemies. God, do it, God. But as you read the Psalms, what's so funny is when, when people are raging on their enemies and really going on tilt in front of God, at the conclusion of their talks, there's a reverse going on. Usually there's a, there, there, there's a 180 going on, and you see this happening over and over again. I said to myself this week, well, well I wonder why. What, what, what was going on here? These people were expressing their anger to God. They were getting right with God. They were coming clean, and God was helping them analyze their anger, and then they were changing. Let me show you what I'm talking about. There's a psalmist named Asaph. And Asaph was going on a distasteful dissertation toward God. But look how he concluded after he'd just gone nuts earlier in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. He said, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Have you ever been there before? I have. God, I, I tried to understand this anger. Is this too painful for me? Uh-oh, until, that, 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 that's the transition, until, I pray that in your life and my life, until I went into the sanctuary of God, Asaph said, then I understood their end. Analyze your anger. Come clean and watch the 180 take place. Express it to God. Tell God how you feel. He understands. A third challenge, watch your words. Watch those comments, those slanderous remarks. Watch those words. Psalm 1914. In this text needs to be our prayer. That's Psalm 1914, right there for both of you. Hey, girls, girls, woo, hey. That's Psalm 1914, and that'll be your prayer. You, you can look it up when you're leaving. Okay. Anyway, I would never embarrass anybody, you know, in church. Um, you know what's so funny? Don't talk about embarrassing. Um, uh, a couple weeks ago, Saturday night, this is hilarious. I hate, I hate y'all miss this. This is off the cuff here. This a little kid was sitting here, and I, he, he was sitting back. Would you stand up for a second for me? 
Stand up for a second. This, this, this little, little kid was sitting right here. You stand right there for a second. What's your name? Joy. Joy, nice to meet you. This, this little kid was sitting here like this, and I was in the middle of my message, you know, he was sitting here. And I was just going on along, and he goes like this. He starts running. So what, what was so funny is, I don't know why I did this, I started running with him, and I was running parallel to him. He had no idea I was running with him. Everybody was laughing. He's like going, ha, ha, ha. I was talking about watch your words. But I want you to make this scripture verse your prayer because we need to pray scripture. You know, scripture is there for us to read and to dissect and to understand it. But have you ever prayed scripture? The Psalms are wonderful chapters of prayers to God. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, just take a psalm like Psalm 19, verse 14, and make it your prayer. Say, okay, God, uh, I'm having trouble with slander. I'm having trouble with that verbal venom. I'm going to make this my prayer. Isn't this great? Let the words of my mouth meet with your favor. Keep the thoughts of my heart before you, Lord. Now let me press the pause button and tell you something very important. When you see this slander stuff, it doesn't mean you're not to warn someone if they're getting ready to make a dumb move in business, if they're getting ready to hire someone who will totally tear apart their company. That means you don't just you know, sit there and silence. well, I don't want to slander him or her. You need to tell the truth. If you have good intentions, say it. Or if, if, if one of your good friends is getting ready to marry someone, to hook up with someone that you know is, is kind of out there orbiting Pluto, tell them, hey, hey, they're orbiting Pluto. <laughs> Don't leave here and say, well, the pastor told me I should never say one negative thing about anybody. No. We're made in the image of God, and we have common sense. So we need to use our common sense on these things. Watch your words. You know, you know, God does this to me so often. Here, here, here I went through this whole message this, this week. Watch your words, one of my major points, as you know. And yesterday, <laughs> at a 12 noon, I coached a basketball game. You see, my daughter is in the sixth grade, and I coach her school team. You know how much I love basketball, and I love coaching and all that. So yesterday, we had this championship game. It, 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 was, it was an intense game. We were undefeated until this team we played yesterday beat us about, oh, two weeks ago. I mean, the girls were crying. You know, they're 12 and 13. It was an emotional deal. I kind of shed some tears, too. I was really upset. So <laughs> we faced this team in the championship. And we met at, at the little school, you know, and decorated the cars. We drove way over there to West Fort Worth. And I even, I even, I even had the tattoo on my face yesterday. I think I might still have one on my legs. Let me see. No, you can barely see it. But anyway, you know, I want to get into the game, which I love to do. So we're, we're playing this team, and, 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 and the girls are playing great. In fact, I'll tell you, we won the championship. It, it, was, it was beautiful. I mean, all the girls, you know, were dogpiling on the middle of the floor. Yeah, we won trophies and everything. Well, well dude, during the game, I'm, I'm, I'm the head coach, and I've kind of got a loud voice, and I've uh, played a little bit of basketball, and, 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 and you know, uh, I thought the officiating <laughs> was not quite up to par. And here is senior pastor Ed Young in just a few hours on Saturday night going to talk about watch your words. So at a, at a critical time in the game, the referee called a foul on one of our girls, and she wasn't in the same zip code as the girl. 
And I didn't say anything bad or didn't use any bad language, but the referee came over. And I said, I'll pick on you again. I said, uh, that was a terrible call. Technical foul! <laughs> Called the T on me. <laughs> and I started thinking about the Sixth Commandment. I said, oh no, oh no. <laughs> Woo. We all struggle with this, don't we? Is God calling a technical on you? Is God saying, oh, it's a technical, you're a slanderer. It's a technical, verbal venom, a technical. Your comments are killing someone, technical foul. Is he? Is he? Make this your prayer, Psalm 1914. And then I jotted down a couple of hints by watching your words beneath this verse in my Bible, Psalm 1914. I want to share them with you right quick. Number one, when you say something about another person, assume it will get back to them. When I'm talking about Bill, assume it's going to get back to Bill. I'm talking about Susan, assume it'll get back to Susan. It's a good thing to think about. That's how to watch your words. Another thing, give people the benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit. See the best. I was with a friend of mine in California a few weeks ago, and this man is such an example to me, how he sees the best in people. His son took me aside and he said, Ed, my father is relentless, it's amazing, it's supernatural, how he sees the best in people. But then he said, he's not naive, but he sees the best. Another suggestion, when you leave a party, or a dinner, or a meeting, it's very tempting when you're driving in the car with your spouse, or that special someone to gossip about them, to slander. Can you believe the way their house was decorated? I would never do that. Can you believe she served that? I cannot even get into that. Oh, can, look how he handled himself in the meeting, man. That was a joke. The guy was so into himself. Satanical foul. Watch those feathers. Let's develop a sixth sense. Let's develop a sixth sense and make this stuff real in our lives because when we do, our words can honor those masterpieces, those one-of-a-kind human beings fashioned by God himself. Watch those feathers, won't you? Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.